Thanks for listening to the Women Emerging podcast. Every week we put up a new episode with insights into leadership, practical leadership, seen through the eyes of women leaders of all ages and all sectors from right across the world. Our aim is for women to be able to say, if that's leadership, I'm in. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and join Women Emerging on our website, womenemerging.org. That's womenemerging.org for more fabulous free leadership content. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Julia Middleton here, Women Emerging Director and your podcast host. Today, Nina's chosen five objects to illustrate five insights into leading. There's a theme to them all, a fascinating theme. The first captures the moment when everything changed in her life. Another of the objects recalls the Nina before that moment that we we decided to call the Devil Wears Prada version of Nina. And then there's three objects that capture what happened after that moment. Now, I can hear you saying, Julia, what are you talking about? What is this moment? And I'm going to let Nina describe it. But maybe the hint is that her first object will be a scalpel, that sharp knife that a surgeon uses. Nina, your first object is one that totally and utterly changed the course of your life. And it is a rather brutal object, isn't it? It's a scalpel. Correct. I went to a doctor to have a routine procedure done. And he made a horrible mistake on me, which turned out to be medical negligence. And I developed a brutal syndrome called complex regional pain syndrome, which meant that I was in acute and chronic pain throughout my head, my face, my inner ear, my throat, and my upper spine. I couldn't walk, I couldn't talk, and I was totally isolated and in totally debilitating pain. Whoa. (laughs) So at the risk of being crass, what did that period teach you about leading? Initially, what I had was really understudied in the UK. There's not a lot of research dollars allocated to it. And so it was very difficult to find treatment. And when I did do a treatment, when I did finally find someone, and when we did finally go through a surgery, and when that surgery didn't work, initially I fell apart. But it was a six-year journey. And over that six-year journey, I learned resilience. I learned how to cope with failure. And I think every leader experiences setbacks and failure. And unless you know how to cope with them, you're never going to succeed and you're never going to be able to bring a team along with you and be an inspiring leader. So I learned about learning from setbacks 
not letting setbacks define you, not falling apart at setbacks, but getting really curious about the why. Why did this setback happen? What can we learn from it? How can we do something differently? How can we problem solve around this? What are the lessons? And to move forward. How did you overcome the anger? How did you not become sort of eaten up with anger at the person or the people who were causing this through their mistakes? Anger is so toxic, as you know, as many of your listeners know. And initially, I was consumed with anger. You're absolutely right. It's a spot on question because I lost everything. I lost my livelihood. I lost income. I lost my identity. And I've lost the ability just to live freely because I was in constant chronic pain. I lost the ability to have a decent night's sleep, to wake up in the morning without this constant companion of thundering pain. So initially I was consumed by anger, but I went through an experience of being very supported by my family and my friends. And I realized that I was so fortunate in ways that other people aren't fortunate. And I've learned that this anger was fueling my attachment to the pain. And I had to learn how to sit in a place of gratitude. And when I sat in a place of gratitude, even through the worst pain of my life, I was less attached to the pain. I was less attached to the experience and I gave it less power over me. Less power over you. That's quite an expression. Explain that yeah. one. I am an American. I am a woman. I am a sister. I am a daughter. I am an aunt. I am a godmother. I am a professional. If I define myself only by my current circumstances of pain and anger, I'm no longer all those other things. And I didn't want the pain and the anger to define me. I wanted those other things that were more positive to define me. But isn't that interesting in itself? Because you gave me a long list and then you added professional at the end. Right. We'll come back to that. We'll come right. back. That is so interesting, isn't it? <laughs> I suspect that order would have been very different if I'd spoken to you 20 years ago. That's correct. That is so interesting, isn't it? But that sort of leads into your second object, isn't it? Which is a photograph of your sister. And it's a beautiful photograph of your sister. What did your sister teach you during that period about leadership? My sister taught me grace under pressure, Julia. This is a really, really, really valuable lesson that I don't hear young people talking about much today. People talk about, oh, you've got to be vulnerable. You've got to be vulnerable. You've got to be vulnerable. And I agree that bringing your authentic self to work and to relationships is incredibly valuable. And there's been a lot of advancement in that area, which I'm pleased to see. But if you're too vulnerable, you fall apart. 
And falling apart is not helpful to you. It's not helpful to your goal. It's not helpful to your community and your cohort around you. Falling apart is a luxury. And I didn't have that luxury. I had to keep soldiering on. And my sister taught me how not to fall apart and how to continue to have grace under the greatest pressure of my life. Where did she learn that? My sister was born that way. (laughs) 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 My sister was born that way. How did she transfer it to you? Very subtly and very gently and, dare I say it, very gracefully. (laughs) She led by example, which I think is what good leaders do. She showed me that staying calm, staying graceful, staying focused on the goal, on the problem, doing your research is a much more effective strategy than falling apart. It sounds obvious, but when you're in the worst pain of your life and you go to have a surgery and the surgery makes it worse, you think that you're never going to be out of that pain. And it's very difficult to remain calm and to remain graceful. But the initial person who hurt me really practiced medical negligence. The other people were really very helpful and they were trying their best. And so falling apart on them, being angry at them, even though their treatments initially did not work, was not appropriate. It was not helpful. It was not goal-oriented. You know, as you speak, there was an expression my father used to say to me a lot as a child, which is that it, it's when you're in the right, Julia, it's when you're in the right, that's the time to be absolutely charming. Right. And it really confuses people. (laughs) Right, 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 right. I think I would have loved to meet your sister. She's remarkable. So, but let's go back to that list, that list of your family that you gave us, where you put professional at the end. Not (laughs) long ago, you, because let's face it, your third object is a poster of The Devil Wears Prada. Now, you weren't quite that, but in your working world, you were, you would have put professional at the top. Oh, I would have put professional as one, two, and three without, without even thinking about it, Julia. And you were at Warner Brothers, weren't you? You were the cat's whiskers. Absolutely, yes. Yes. Everybody wanted to be you. That's right, Julia, including me. (laughs) Including you. But I was fascinated because when I asked you what you learned about leading there, you gave me a very curious and unusual answer, which is nothing. Mm -hmm. But actually, in that nothingness, you learned quite a lot, didn't you? Yes, well, the lessons came after, really, didn't they? I mean, when I was at Warner Brothers, it was a very high-pressure environment. You know, it's Hollywood, right? So it's very image-oriented. You have to look the part 100% of the time. It's a place where everybody wants to work. If you're not careful, the next person is going to nick your job. 
And so I was very focused on me, 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 me. And I was doing a fabulous job and I kept getting rewarded for that. But I wasn't mentoring people underneath me. I wasn't shining a light on people underneath me. I wasn't leading. So why were people working for you then if they, because... Because exactly, you nailed it a moment ago. People wanted to be me. And they thought that by working for me, they could be me. But I didn't create enough space for them. Nobody could be me because I was too busy being me. Shining the light on yourself. Correct. I was shining the light on myself. It's pretty obvious, I think, what the learning is of this. But put it in your own words. What was the learning from all of this for you? Well, I'm in a very different position now where I'm leading a team and my team is everything to me now. Now I focus on not being the best I can be specifically every day, but helping everybody else on the team be the best that they can be, which lifts the tide and I rise with it. This goes into your fourth object, isn't it? Which is a light. So the light is no longer on you. The light is on everybody around you. That's exactly right, Julia. That's what's changed. And that's what I've learned. And your wonderful new venture will not succeed unless you do that. That's correct. Oh, 100%. Do you need the scalpel? Do you need to go through all that pain to do such a major transition? I think yes and no. I was on such a high. Things were soaring for me. I was in a speedboat. I was going from strength to strength. Had a ski house in Switzerland. I was rocking the mountains on the weekends. I was rocking the work during the week. I can't describe it other than being in a really modern high-end speedboat and unless I had something that threw me over into the water in my case without a life jacket because what happened to me was so severe I would never have transformed into the leader that I am today and I'm happy with the leader that I am today so in that sense yes no in the sense that what I went through was a bit too severe and I don't wish it on anybody else. And when the leader that you are today, would that leader have survived at Warner Brothers? No, never. No, absolutely not. Warner Brothers is a wonderful place, but it's not a place for radical candor. It's not a place for bringing your authentic self to work. It's not a place for shining the light on others. No, it's a very different culture. It's not a bad culture. I'm not putting them down. They're a great place. It's just a different culture. And maybe therefore your fifth object, I suppose it's the logo, isn't it, of Stanford University? Yeah. Now, where did that come in the story and what did Stanford teach you about leading? So my surgeon who got me better was the head of his department at Stanford. 
And he told me about this amazing program at Stanford called the Distinguished Career Institute. I applied. I was the youngest person to ever be accepted by 10 years. And it was really my cocoon moment where I met a community of people who were all focused on doing things bigger than themselves. It was working on ventures in climate tech and health tech and agri-tech and clean lighting in Africa and better payment systems in India. And it was just this whole new community. It opened up a whole world to me that I had never been exposed to before. And I learned that leadership really, for me, became my definition of leadership through my Stanford journey, turned into doing something bigger than yourself and doing it with the community. And that really is the theme of all of your objects, aren't they? It's, a, it's community and it's purpose. Correct. Correct. And what would you say to yourself as that person who shone a light on themselves. Wake up, girl. Do you think those kind of cultures will survive? Those cultures are strong, Julia. Warner Brothers just did the Barbie movie. What a cultural phenom that's becoming. You know, it's hard for a young person to come in and battle against the people who are behind Barbie when it brings in hundreds of millions of dollars and creates a cultural phenomenon. Tough to say, tough to say, watch this space. And would you have been brave enough to question the Barbie film when you were there? No, 100% not. Nina, you leave us with a thought. What to do with that Barbie film? I'm not going to think about that at the moment. I'm going to think about the fact that you are the first person I've spoken to who who had an object. And when I said, what did that teach you about leadership? Your answer was nothing. <laughs> that was wonderful. It was a wonderful moment. But of course, it, it wasn't quite true, was it? It taught you nothing. But of course, it taught you a great deal, I would have thought about that expression that's interesting, isn't it? Shining a spotlight on yourself. And being a leader, or in theory a leader, who shines a spotlight on themselves rather than everybody else. It is a great sadness to, to think about that as leading. Do you know, my daughter told me about her boss the other day. You don't know which daughter, I've got three, so I can't get into trouble for this. But she was really, sure she is, really, really struggling with her boss because she's somebody, her boss is, who has let her down, not covered her back, expects my daughter to be incredibly grateful for the opportunity to work for her. Those kind of leaders don't just work in Hollywood, they're everywhere. 
And, and of course, are they leaders at all? They have the job title of a leader, probably the status of a leader, almost certainly the bonus of a leader, and definitely the authority of a leader. But there's no real evidence of leading happening. Interesting, isn't it? And I am so glad that on the expedition we decided that we would focus on the word leading. We decided that leader is a title that slides too quickly into a right. That leadership is too fixed and unmoving a word, too heavy a word. It ends with the word ship. Ships that that don't move fast, that don't adapt fast. Maybe it's not even a ship, it's a sort of tanker. A leader tanker, as opposed to a leadership. Anyhow, I'll stop being ridiculous. But I am glad that we decided that we would, as much as we possibly can, use the verb leading. Because that means that you have to shine the light on more than just yourself. Really thought-provoking episode. Thank you so, so much, Nina. Look forward to next week. Lots of love, Julia. To become part of our movement and share your thinking with us, subscribe to the podcast and join the Women Emerging group on our website at womenemerging.org. We love all of the messages you send us. Keep them coming.